Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, it is so good to be back. Our family took an extended vacation, so if this is your first time here or you only come once a month, you might not have even known that we were gone, and so I could have gotten away without saying it, but uh, anyway, it's good to be back, and I I tell you, from the time I walked into the door this morning, the smile that's been on my face as I've interacted with you, and to listen to some of you heckle me from the moment that you saw me today has just been a welcome home, you know, like, uh, it's just been great. Somebody's like, I hear we've got another speaker from out of town today. (laughs) What's your name? Uh, (laughs) I said the peanut gallery is here this morning for the service. But listen, it's so good to be here. Every Sunday that we were gone, our family attended some style of worship service at a church or otherwise. And uh, and I'll just tell you, I'm not sad about this, but I never sit with my family in church because I'm always up here. And they're in different places of ministry, and, and, and so we just never sit together as a family in a service. And for the last four weeks at every service, we've been able to sit together as a family, and it's been kind of fun. Like when the pastor uses a family illustration about a kid and a parent, and I just kind of look down the row, and I'm like, ah, he does it too. Um, <laughs> it, so that's been good. But I tell you, my favorite thing that happened while we were gone in one of the church services We come out, and it was a great service, and the kids said, that church was great, but we miss our church. That church was great, but we love our church, and I'm just telling you that as a dad and as a pastor, that just fills my heart with joy, that in the absence of being gone, that our kids wouldn't go, this is great, I hope we never go back, but instead, they're like, we miss what we have here, and so can we just celebrate to God that we have a great church I know that, uh, that you know that and your kids uh, tell you that and you, uh, you love it as well. So this morning we're going to dive into a new series called There Is More. And I'm excited about this series. I don't even know how many weeks that it's going to go because there's just so much that, that it can encompass. But this morning we're going to dive into it and start it off. A couple of weeks ago I returned to my house after being gone for a solid two weeks. And we had looked at the weather app along the way and saw that it had not rained here. But even with that, some of you already know where I'm going with this. I had uh, wondered what my grass looked like. And so I talked to a couple of uh, our kids' friends, and they drove by, and I said, does our grass need to be mowed? And they said, no, you're, you don't even have grass, you know? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be mowed. And so I saw what many of you experienced over that time when we got back. Our grass was dead and dormant just dried out to a crisp. And the thing that I hadn't even thought about, which was worse than our grass, was our flower beds. The weeds had overgrown our flower beds. And so what's crazy is the things that we wanted to grow were lying dormant, and the things that we didn't grow were thriving. On a practical level, uh, 
there were a couple of things that I did when I got home. Number one is I bought a couple of sprinklers, I think the last ones that Walmart had, and I watered my lawn. And the reason why I was able to do that is because our spigots are connected to a well. If it was connected to city water, I'd have to get a second mortgage to be able to pay to, uh, to water my yard. But with the well, I was able to water it. And the second thing that I did was I took Roundup and I sprayed the weeds. I applied the right treatment to the right thing. What I didn't do is water my weeds and spray Roundup on my grass. And maybe some of you have experienced that one time. You know what Roundup does to your grass. And so I knew the right thing to do, and I did the right thing. Within a matter of days, what was lying dormant uh, began to show signs of life once again. And the things that I had sprayed Roundup on were, thank God, were brown as they should be. And it turns out that my yard and our spiritual condition have some par- parallels. Our spiritual condition requires attention. And when we're checked out spiritually, the things that we want to see grow lie dormant, and the things that we don't want to see grow thrive. The good news this morning is that if your spiritual life is dormant today, you're going to allow God to water uh, your spiritual life, and you're going to watch it come back to life today, and you're going to see it grow. As I was typing this message a couple of weeks ago, I was looking out as the rain was just falling. It was nice. I had watered my grass, and then the Lord was watering my grass, and, uh, and it was bringing it all back to life. The other thing is that if things or sins that you don't want to thrive in your life are flourishing, there's good news for you this morning as well. You can spray spiritual roundup on those sins and see them die and disappear. And you wonder, how do you do that? Well, we confess those sins to God, and when you do, this is what his word says in Psalm chapter 103, verse 11. We're going to look at a few passages this morning, ultimately settle on John chapter 15. But if you're taking notes, this is the first passage that we're going to look at. Psalm 103, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Maybe there are some of you this morning that your faith is thriving, and if so, I want to encourage you to keep going and let it keep thriving, but I also want you to know that there's more. In our relationship with Jesus, we never arrive. There is always more that he wants to give to us. For those of you who feel like your faith is dormant and the things that you don't want to grow are thriving, hold on. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse number 15, this age-old challenge that we still experience today. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. The idea of doing the things that we shouldn't and not doing the things that we should is not a new concept that we're experiencing today. The apostle Paul experienced this and wrote about it in Romans chapter 7. One of the many things that I love about Jesus is that he accepts us where he finds us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect when we go to him or for us to be all cleaned up and put together and have it all together before coming to him. Instead, he accepts us where he finds us. But the beautiful part is this, is he doesn't leave us where he finds us. Jesus doesn't leave us where he finds us. When we confess our sins to him, he forgives us and brings deliverance and puts us on a new path. Jesus paints this amazing picture of his relationship with the Father in John chapter 15. And I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. We're going to camp out on that passage for a little bit this morning. John chapter 15. It's also going to appear on the screen. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse number 1. He says, I am the true vine, 
and my Father is the fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your Spirit's power. Would you open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this imagery of Jesus being the true vine and God being the vine dresser. Jesus doesn't describe God as the CEO of the corporation or a disinterested owner. Instead, he calls him the vine dresser. He's the one who actually prunes and trains and cultivates this mind, this vine. And this morning, I want us to skip ahead to verse number 16 and then work our way back. But before we get there, each Sunday, I give an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. I give them an opportunity to be led in the sinner's prayer and become a follower of Jesus. But I just want to tell you that that moment in our service and that moment in our life isn't the end all, be all. Instead, there's so much more. It's just the beginning. There's so much more than just praying a prayer. And the idea of the salvation experience is life transformation, which leads to a life of obedience to Christ. And living a life of obedience to Christ is, leads to a better, more fulfilled life. The words we use in the prayer aren't a special potion for you to say that and then to go on and do whatever you want to do after that. Instead, there's so much more. In this passage, Jesus reminds the disciples that God chose them, he picked them, and furthermore, he picked them for a purpose. And so verse number 16, Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The reason why Jesus chose the disciples was not for them to just be part of a privileged elite group. Instead, the purpose of the selection was for them to bear fruit. And in the same way God has chosen or selected each of us to be on mission with him, we are chosen by God to bear fruit. And so what is the fruit that we're to produce and how do we get there? 
I believe there are a couple of directions that, that I could talk about in regards to fruit this morning, but for the sake of time, we're going to focus on one. I'm going to mention both of them, and how we achieve both of them is the same. So the first is this. We're going to focus this morning, especially in the context of this passage, that the fruit that Jesus is referring to is making disciples. The fruit that the disciples were supposed to bear was in making other disciples. As followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, none of us get a pass in the responsibility of disciple-making. When we consider the love that God has lavished on us, the only reasonable thing that we could do would be to join him in his mission to tell others of his love. The good news is that we don't have to do any of that in our own strength and our own ability, but instead we have the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. The next aspect of fruit is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. Many of you could probably quote this passage. It's going to appear on the screen, and you're going to help me uh, read it aloud here in just a moment. But the fruit of the Spirit is, read it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I love that tagline at the end of it. Against such things, there is no law against loving too much or being too gentle or being too kind, right, or having too much self-control. There's, there's no such thing. And here's the deal, is these are the characteristics that should describe our lives as followers of Jesus. If we were applying for a job, and they had a list of attributes that should be selected uh, by the, uh, for us by the reference, and these attributes were listed there as followers of Jesus, our person who's given us a reference should be able to check each of those boxes. And some of you are like, yeah, no. You're like, maybe one of those boxes, but there's no way. But here's the deal. By the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, those attributes should accompany the lives as followers of Jesus. We should, we should be masters in all of those areas by the grace of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those should mark our lives as followers of Jesus. So in order for us to bear the fruit of making disciples or for us to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us some instructions in John chapter 15 to do so. The purpose of our life as a believer is that we would bear fruit and most importantly that we would bear fruit that will last. And Jesus starts out this passage by saying that he is the true vine and that God is the vine dresser. And then in verse number two, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And there are two elements to this image that Jesus is describing. The first is he said, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, God cuts away. And so what are the things in your life that in no way are bringing glory to God? I would encourage you this morning to surrender it to him and allow God to cut it away. Only you know the extent of the sins in your life and the destruction that they're causing. And the Bible says that God is the vine keeper, and he's willing to cut those off completely out of your life. And if you'll let him cut off those dead branches that aren't producing any fruit, he can spare you from going deeper into sin. He can forgive you and set you free. And there are some of you who are on a path of destruction and you know the potential consequences. Some of you are being unfaithful in your marriage vows and, uh, and God wants to cut that out of your marriage and see your marriage thriving and restored. 
Others are abusing drugs and alcohol, and before you lose your job or your license or you kill somebody, God is giving you the invitation to allow him to cut it off. Again, only you know the extent of the sins in your life. And this morning, God is giving an invitation for each of us to confess those sins to him, for him to cut it out of our lives and set us free. And so whatever it is in your life this morning, confess it to God and let him cut it out. And if you're still breathing, there's still grace for you. His grace has not run out because there is always more. The second image that Jesus shared, which is in the same vein, but it's a little bit different, is he said, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There are things in our lives that we choose to do that aren't necessarily bad or evil, but it's not helping us accomplish all that God has for us. And whatever you've experienced from God this morning, there's more. And the things that he cut away, cuts away may be painful, but it's also for our good. I think about the many times that I've had conversations with our kids or with other uh, people, and we've had these conversations like God doesn't tell us not to do certain things because he doesn't want us to have fun. Maybe that's news to all of you this morning. God doesn't tell us not to do certain things because he doesn't want us to have fun. Instead, he knows the consequences. He knows the pain that those decisions lead to. And so as a loving heavenly father, he directs us away from those things so that we don't have to live our lives full of shame and regret. In the same way, he gives us instructions of things to do to be more fruitful. And so if we're not living up to our potential, God's going to prune up those branches so that we can bear more fruit. God cuts away the things in our lives that don't bring fruit and prunes the fruitful branches to make them more fruitful. So what are the things in your life right now that are keeping you from being the best disciple for him and keeping you from making other disciples? When we read that God is the vine dresser, he not only cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit, he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they can bear more fruit. And as the divine gardener, he creates optimal tailored conditions for each of us to bear the most fruit. And so each of our lives are different, and so the conditions that we thrive in are all going to be different. But I believe that God has orchestrated each of that, each of those seasons for us to directly uh, look to him in that. And so I love that God is willing to get his hands dirty in our lives. He pulls the weeds that try to crowd out our faith. He pours water on our faith and turns the sun towards it so that he can watch it grow. He does all of this to produce a harvest of righteousness in us and to help us produce fruit. So verse number three, he says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He pruned or cleans them through the word that Jesus spoke to them. And as we hear and respond to the teaching of Jesus, we become more fruitful. And Jesus continues in this passage with the idea of abiding. And if you listened or you read along, uh, that word is used often in this passage. And in verse number four, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And Jesus says the same is true with us. If we abide in him, then we will bear fruit. And he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. And in verse number six, there's this warning for those who don't abide in Christ. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But in verse number seven, verse number seven he says, but if you abide in me, 
and his words abide in us, then we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done. How can such a bold statement be made? How can Jesus say, if we abide in him and he abides in us, that we can ask whatever we want in Jesus' name and it'll happen? So God, I want a new Corvette and it'll happen. God, give me a, a jet so I don't have to fly a commercial airline. You know, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Instead, there are some assumptions that are made and a connection that's made. And here's the connection that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you are grafted into my vine, if we are connected to him, the assumption is then that we would be praying the prayers that God wants us to pray. And so when we're praying for the lost in our world to come to know Jesus, of course he wants to answer those prayers. And he says, if you ask in my name, then whatever you ask, it will happen. This last week, I had a divine appointment. I was walking down this path, and I ran into a couple of people, and a conversation was sparked. And they just began to share with me that they have a 20-year-old son that is far away from God right now. And so we just began talking and, uh, and, and sharing, and I just shared with them my, the journey that God took me on. I got saved when I was 11 years old, but my parents didn't get saved until I was 16. And there were a number of people who prayed for them, uh, regularly were praying for my family. And one night, my parents gave their heart to the Lord. My twin brother gave his heart to the Lord. Shortly after that, my sister and my brother-in-law and my grandfathers. And we saw a revival happen in our family because God's still in the prayer answering business. And so as there were followers of Jesus grafted into his vine, praying his will be done, he answered those prayers. And so I encourage this family to say, don't give up. Don't quit praying for your son. Instead, continue to cry out to God and allow him to bring your son back to him. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're praying for lost family members or neighbors or coworkers or whomever in your life, I encourage you to keep praying those prayers. And as you're grafted in the vine, watch God answer those prayers. And verse number eight says, uh, but this, my, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is a challenging verse right here. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, we don't believe in a works-based theology here. We don't believe that we can earn our way and work our way into heaven. Instead, we know that it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast. It's all on what Jesus did for us on the cross that enables us to have a relationship with God and spend an eternity with him in heaven. But God didn't save us to just warm a chair on a Sunday morning in church. God saved us for a purpose, which is to be his disciple and to make disciples. And so the way that Jesus words this is not that they would know that you are my disciples because you come to church occasionally or even every week. He says, by this they will know that you are my disciples when you're bearing fruit, when you're making disciples. As I said earlier in this passage, none of us get a pass from this. Some of you are like, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that the evangelist's job? Isn't that the missionary's job? No, it's all of our job. We've got to get it right. God is glorified when we're fruitful. Verse number nine says, we see the source of the love of Jesus is from the Father. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It was that perfect love of the Father that Jesus demonstrated to his followers and now he says, in the same way that I have loved you, love others. 
And who better to make disciples than those who have experienced the love of God? When we share our faith with others, we can share the intellectual knowledge that we know of God and know of his word. We also get to share about the experiential knowledge that we have as well, that that we're people who have experienced the love of God. So we don't just know uh, in our minds that God loves us, but instead we've experienced it. And so when we take the in, uh, intellectual knowledge and the experiential knowledge and we combine those together to share with others, it's a powerful, powerful thing. As Christ loves us, we are commanded to love others. The kindest thing that we could do as followers of Jesus is to tell others of the forgiveness of God. The kindest, most loving thing that we could do for others is tell others of the forgiveness of God. And there's this theme throughout the Bible that loving God requires obedience. And in this passage, we see two different verses that that dictate this. Jesus in this passage in verse number 10 says, if we keep his commandments, then we will abide in his love. If we keep his commandments, then we'll abide in his love. In verse number 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. In verse number 11, he said, he has said these things so that his joy will be in us that we may be full. And so what are his commandments? He mentions one of them right here in verse number 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And in verse number 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he wraps up this passage by repeating what he's already says. He says that what the Father has made known to me, I've made known to you. He said, I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit and fruit that will last and that whatever you as of the Father, ask of the Father in his name, he will give to you. And in verse number 17, he says, these things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Our faith in God is not meant to be a secret that we keep from others. Our walk with Christ and our faith in him is to be made known to others. And as we abide in Christ and follow his commandments, we'll bear much fruit for him. We'll be part of his global mission in going into all the world and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing that God is with us always, even till the end of the age. And the bottom line is this, that we need to bear more fruit. There's more. There are roughly 12,000 people within a 10-mile radius of our church that don't go to church. And they're counting on us to get this right because their eternities are at stake. And then when we consider not only the 10-mile radius of our church, but uh, our county and our state and our world, as followers of Jesus, we've got to take this commandment seriously. We've got to be about making disciples. And here's what I know. Fall is coming. People are getting back in their routines. And one of the encouraging things for me was I left and more people showed up on a Sunday morning than were here when I was here before. And so I just love it. I just wonder if I need to be gone more often. Y'all are like, he's gone. I'm coming. I love that. Yeah, don't amen, Clint. Uh, So... So even now we're seeing an uptick in numbers and I just know that more will be joining and more will be coming back. And even more than just welcoming back those who've been gone, there are a number of people in our community that need a healthy expression of the kingdom of God and need to be part of this community. And so I want to encourage all of us to be a part of, number one, welcoming everybody. 
So you don't have to have a lanyard on on Sunday morning. You don't have to have a title in our church to welcome people to our church, right? You can look around this room this morning. You can go, I don't know that person. I'm going to walk up and talk to them. And so I'm just going to let you know right now, I give you my permission to talk to one another. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? But there might be some of you who are in here this morning. You're like, I don't ever talk to anybody. I'm like, I don't, I'm not the greeter of the church. Yes, you are. We all are. And so let's be greeters. Let's welcome everybody. And the second thing, let's be inviters. Let's be disciples that are making other disciples. Let's be people who are sharing our faith outside these four walls, as well as inviting people to be a part of this faith community. I'm telling you, I don't know how people make it when they're not part of a faith community. I don't know how they do it in times of celebration to do that all alone and in times of devastation to have to do that all alone. We were out of town when the tornadoes came through our town this last week and my daughter was on Snapchat and she was seeing, uh, you know, seeing what was happening here in our town and our family took a moment and we prayed for our community and we prayed for each of you. Yesterday, Eric and I drove to Joe and Kelly Sampson's house, great people in our church, great family. A year ago uh, or so, they built a house on this beautiful wooded acreage. And we had heard that the tornado hit the woods in front of their house and their house was spared. And I'd been out there before the tornado hit. And as Erica and I drove down the drive, it was just unbelievable to see the devastation. I mean, a beautiful wooded lot that now honestly looks like a bomb was dropped and everything just exploded there. And as Eric and I parked and we walked down their driveway, you can see the path of the tornado. And Joe and Kelly are standing in their driveway. And their house is still standing. And I'm just telling you, I had to fight back the tears. Because their house shouldn't be there. And they shouldn't be alive. But by the grace of God, their house was spared and their lives were spared. And this week, they got to experience what it's like to be part of a community in the midst of devastation. This week, many of you have gone over uh, to their house and you've helped them begin clearing some of the woods out. And yesterday, we saw uh, some of you there. And I'm just telling you, they have months worth of work to do there. And so I want to extend an invitation to all of our church to be the body of Christ and let's help them get through this. They were in first service this morning and uh, their faith and their trust is in God and they're grateful that their house was spared, their lives are spared. And here's what I want to say to you. If you've got 30 minutes, if you have an hour, if you have a couple hours or a whole day, it would mean a lot. You can go over there with a chainsaw. You can go over there with a truck or a trailer. You can haul stuff away. If you need mulch, they got tons of mulch. If you need firewood, you can have all the firewood uh, that you want. And so it's there. And if you can go be a help, uh, please, here's what we're going to do because we don't want to bombard them. We want them to be able to keep working and do that. And so we're just going to ask that you would call the church office and either ask for Sarah or ask for myself. And we'll help coordinate times where you guys can go over there and be a blessing to them. And, uh, and so we just encourage you to do that. But grateful that we have the body of Christ to lean into in times of celebration and in devastation. When we're grafted into the vine of Jesus together, we're all after the same thing. We're not in competition with one another. Instead, our desire it was as, as a team to bear much fruit. And as I come back to the illustration that I shared at the beginning about my lawn, when we're grafted into the vine with Jesus together, we strengthen one another. 
And so here's what I know. If I would have asked any of you to check on my lawn while I was gone, you would have. And here's what I know about many of you is you wouldn't just call me and tell me that there are weeds growing in my flower beds. You'd be like, hey, bro, your flower bed was trashed, but I took care of it. And when we're grafted into the vine with Jesus in community, then we can help one another out. And so I'll just tell you, in a marriage relationship, my wife is not slow to let me know when I'm failing. Right? There are times when she looks at me and she's like, you need a nap. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But she sees the things sprouting up and thriving in my life that she knows that I don't want. And so she helps bring it to my attention so I can spray spiritual roundup on it and take care of it so the things that I want to grow and thrive will grow. And when we live in a connected uh, community to the vine of Jesus, then we speak into one another's lives and we recognize the things that shouldn't be and the things that should be and the things that shouldn't be. We challenge and we call it out of people and we encourage them to confess it to Jesus and leave it there. And the things that we see flourishing in their lives that should be flourishing as the body of Christ, we keep calling it out and we keep celebrating it so that we can see more of it. And so I pray this morning that we would all recognize that no matter where we're at in our faith journey, there's more. God wants to do so much more in and through us. As we choose to abide in him, we'll see a great harvest. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You would say, I'm not a disciple of him, but today I want to experience the love of my heavenly father and I want to become a follower of him and a disciple. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. And so in just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, that's me. I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room if that's you. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. One hand. Are there others this morning? Two, I see that hand. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand all across this room. There were at least two hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. If you raise your hand, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask that you repeat this prayer after me, but know that you're not praying this alone, but that each of us in support of you We'll also be praying this morning. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning, I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thank you, God. If you prayed that prayer, I would ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. The prayer team has made their way to the front, and 
at the conclusion of this service here, we just want to give an opportunity for people who've come in today needing God to do something in their life, to have an opportunity for someone to pray for them. And so this team has come uh, faith-filled, believing God to meet whatever need that you have today. And so in just a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And as they begin singing, I would encourage you to step out from your seat and come forward and let one of these people uh, pray for you this morning. Let's continue to worship the Lord. If you have a need, feel free to step out even now. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.